Hello and welcome back after a long hiatus uh, to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, bizarre, and the sleazy films of the VHS era. Tonight we are talking about the 1995 Tim Ritter shot on video masterpiece, Creep. My name is Luke and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, Florida is known for many things. Oranges. Disney World, Mar-a-Lago, COVID denialists, and now this absolute masterpiece we're about to discuss. And if you want to be in the know, then, as of this broadcast, you can find Tim Ritter's Creep from 1995 nowhere on streaming. But honestly, this film is so grungy, it should probably only be viewed on VHS via some CRT on the last leg of its life. And then you, like us, post-credits, can just lean back on your couch and wonder about all the weird things you just witnessed. Like, why is Weird Al stalking girls on a nature trail? Why is there an answering machine in the kitchen with no phone? Who uses whipped cream in the bathtub? Luke, food in the bathroom. Yeah, don't do it, but I no kink shaming. Whatever you're into. Is I was going to ask, is this the most Florida movie of all time? Yes, it it became apparent after about oh, 5 5 minutes that, that this was filmed in Florida. So Tim Ritter is from Jupiter, I believe. Oh, wow. Jupiter, Florida. And um I think most of his films are set in Florida. But this one exemplifies what Florida is. (laughs) As two people who are from Florida can tell you, if you want to see what it's really like, you know, outside of Disney World, just watch this movie. (laughs) Creep. So you've never seen a Tim Ritter movie before, have you? No, this is my first Ritter so Tim Ritter is probably one of the more well-known and prolific shot-on-video filmmakers. Um, he's probably best known for this and Killing Spree, um, which is about a man who believes his wife is cheating on him, and so he kills everybody who he suspects. And they're all people who come to the house, like the lawn person and the TV repair person and the electrician and he kills them in really creative ways and it would just be sort of a standard like hack and slash movie except the main character is played by the one and only Asbestos Felt who delivers a performance just as good as Joel D. Winecoop in this movie that we're going to talk about so I highly recommend seeing Killing Spree uh, if you see no other Tim Ritter movies um, as well as this one, of course. Uh, this is my favorite of his films. Are Killing all of Spree- his films shot on a camcorder? Yes. And um, I think Killing Spree is on Amazon Prime. I think that one's easy to see. I'm starting yeah. to get used to this uh, camcorder aesthetic. It, it was a huge turnoff at first, but it's starting to grow on me a little. I mean, we've only watched a few, but I think that there are certain films like this one that are just better suited to the the camcorder aesthetic. Was Trash Humpers on a camcorder? I think it was. Yeah. I, I think that's the first 
like major feature film I've ever seen on a camcorder. And that movie was ass. I think the first, I think the first shot on video film I ever saw was boarding house, but boarding house, as most people know, looks a little bit different because they shot it on video and then they blew it up to 35 millimeter to show in theaters. And so it looks I don't know. It looks slightly different than other shot on video fare. Um, but yeah, certain movies like this and uh, The Burning Moon, which we did in a past episode, like I just think they're they're better suited to this this shot on video aesthetic. I don't know if I'd say better suited, but it, it all I'm saying is that it's growing on me. It still looks like weird public access television. That, that like forbidden public access television that's why i feel like it fits this movie so well but i'd also say like whatever could allow people like tim ritter to make movies with actors like this movie has and lines of dialogue like this movie has uh, good for them like i'm just happy it got made i, I want to say the budget was like something like 10k yeah, it it was low. I know that they they filmed it on they they wrote the script in something like a week and then they filmed it over 10 consecutive weekends. So, just imagine like having the talent, I guess, and the drive to to throw 10k uh together and and make this and, and get it released and presumably make at least a little bit of money on it. I'd be surprised if it didn't make 10k. Yeah. I mean it I, I think it was only on video. I think it's since come out on Blu-ray. I might be wrong, but I think Tim Ritter um oversaw it himself getting a Blu-ray released. I think yeah, he used between, to sell it through his website. Between uh VHS, Blu-ray, and I'm assuming some kind of limited theatrical release, you definitely made your money back. Well, there can't be many of the VHS tapes. Uh, they're pretty hard to get. They go for about 150 What about um, bootlegs, though? Yeah, I don't see a lot of bootlegs floating around of this. All right, why don't we play the trailer and, and let's start talking about the movie. So this trailer isn't so much a trailer as it is just a montage of scenes from the film and behind-the-scenes shots from the film set with music overlaid. So, yeah, let's get to it.
Wow, that cut off suddenly. Uh, I should mention there's a part where some text is overlaid where it says starring America's favorite nymphomaniac. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about her. Um, but the music was done by uh, Alucarda, and I am not familiar with any of their other work. Um, I think they were like a heavy metal band in the 90s. But I like the musical score. I, I think it's pretty well done. Not sure how many metal bands out there are called Alucarda, but when I was looking for a streaming version of that film months ago for this podcast, I saw a lot of music from them. Yeah, well, I don't really know the full story on Alucarda, but uh, I, I like their musical score here, and I think that's what, what matters. Um, let's talk about the major actors. So, we already mentioned Joel D. Wynkoop, who plays our lead character, Angus Lynch. What did you think of Joel's performance? He's the best actor of the whole film. That's, I mean, that's true by a long shot. I, I, I don't know if that's saying too much, but, you know, even if the acting is questionable, you cannot doubt that every single person in this movie threw themselves into their role. Everyone yes. fits their character perfectly. And is, is quite committed. Yeah. D Joel Weinkoop is in, in a lot of these movies. He's in a lot of Tim Ritter's movies and, and shot on video movies in general. Uh, I have not seen him in that many things, but he's always good. Um, and I think that this is... He, he. I legitimately feel like I'm watching a crazy person in this movie. I, I At some point, his acting sort of fades away and he just becomes the character for me. But the um, the woman you mentioned earlier, uh, Florida's favorite... Uh, oh, it was America's. Oh, America's favorite what? All the states included. <laughs> America's favorite nymphomaniac. Yeah, so do you know the story behind this woman? Obviously, she is a stripper IRL or possibly a porn actress. Yeah, so she was... Um, she got married to she was also from south florida and she got married to a man who happened to be the uh i think he was the police lieutenant for the the town and he encouraged her to quit her job as a stripper and essentially become a uh, a prostitute for him full time and so he started pimping her out of their bedroom to like wealthy, influential people, and then he would hide in the closet and film them with a video camera and take notes so that they could use this footage to blackmail people later. Anyway, th they were caught. That, that is so Florida. Yeah. A right. police chief. <laughs> yeah. At first, I thought this was going to be like a Captain Sabaho story, and then it just went off the rails. So they both, they both played, at first they said that she was innocent by reason of nymphomania, that she, <laughs> <laughs> they said that she had nymphomania and because of his anxiety at being unable to satisfy her, the husband had erectile dysfunction. And so by bringing people into the house to have sex, it wasn't prostitution. It was like couples therapy. That was their argument. Did that hold up in court? 
Well, they ended up not going with it. Someone talked them out of that, and they ended up pleading guilty and spending some time in jail. So she, Kathy Willits, the wife, was a little bit of a celebrity, a local celebrity, when she got out of jail, and she volunteered to be in this movie because she thought it might be a segue into an acting career. So, spoiler, was she in anything else? She's been in some stuff. Um, she hasn't had, like, a huge career, but let's see. I'm pulling up her IMDb. Creep was her first film, although she had some things that might be called films before that, uh, such as, what's the lesbian doing in my pirate movie? But she made... <laughs> well, so since since Creep... She's been in Babes of Bonerville, Naked Scandal, the Kathy Willits story. So I guess that's a biography about her. Uh, I want that to be a Hallmark movie, but I know it isn't. Naked Scandal 2, the Kathy Willits story. Las Vegas Review 97. Dirty Bob's Excellent Adventures 37. Las Vegas Review 2000. And Sex Survivor 2. So she had a career that fits she her has, strengths. She has a catalog. Yeah, yeah. she has a catalog. She played to her strengths. Our she, other... is my, she is my favorite character in this film. <laughs> I really like her character arc. Yeah. Um, let's, so we'll get there. Uh, the third main actor we have is Patricia Paul, who plays Jackie Ketchum. She's our main like police officer that we're following. Uh, she was only in a few movies, but I think she's okay. She's not she, distractingly bad. She did not feel like the main character to me at all. She, well, no, uh, Joel Weinkoop feels like the main character to me. Yeah, for sure. Um, but she, her, she gets some cool one-liners to say. That That's about all her character gets. But I, I didn't think she was distractingly bad. So we start with the scene of of Joel Weinkoop escaping, and it's really ridiculous. Like, you know, he steals this police officer's gun, and so the police officer is unarmed, but he is armed. If you were in that situation as the police officer, would you pursue him by yourself? No, not at all. Because that's exactly what he he does, this police officer in this movie. And... Of course, he gets killed for that. But then there's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. So we see our female police officer. Uh, her last name is, her name is Jackie Ketchum. And she's going into a movie. It's, it's a gas station, but they were renting movies to people there. Did you ever rent movies from a gas station? No, but I have seen that before. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I know it used to be a thing. I know when I used to live in a really small town in Michigan, um, we lived in Weberville, if anyone's from Michigan, and uh, the closest town with like a gas station or anything was Fowlerville. And so you can sense what kind of place this was. But um, if we if we drove past Fowlerville, we could get to a real a, a real um, re video rental store. And Grant, that was like an hour. But in Fowlerville, there was a gas station and convenience store that rented movies. So we used to usually rent movies there. But that's what this scene reminded me of. But anyway, she comes across a woman who is 
poisoning the baby food. <laughs> and on the soundtrack over the score, we hear babies crying. <laughs> As if that's going to like emphasize what's happening. Um, but she is caught by Jackie and Jackie pulls a gun on her and makes her eat it. What what do you think of like how do you think of this as an introduction to this character? This is exactly how law enforcement works in Florida. You know this. Well, she kind of gets in trouble for it. So somebody is trying to crack down and play legitimate, but uh, Yeah, it's not quite like a lethal weapon situation where she can get away with everything. No, we we see the woman like vomiting all over herself. And then uh, Jackie tells the people at the front desk that um, to take out the trash on aisle four. That's the kind of like one liner where I think this actress actually does a good job. So her dad happens to be like the chief of police and her dad calls her in and takes her gun and badge and uh basically sends her on unpaid leave while there's an investigation it's very dramatic how she hands her gun badge over well there's a I think scene she where... actually lasers him while handing the gun over onto the desk yeah she points it right at his forehead <laughs> like her dad well, he's off camera but it's it's at him and like okay one thing i like about this movie is it's totally unpredictable. I never know what's going to happen next. And I halfway thought that she was going to shoot him <laughs> just because of the the tenor of the film. But in the next scene, there's a couple having sex in the car. Did this scene stand out to you? Uh, I mean, there was a couple having sex in the car. Actually, there was a direct there is there was a shot that I thought was memorable um, where they're they're fucking in the passenger seat she's riding him and there's a shot where the camera on the outside of the car is focusing on the side view mirror and it's just full of bouncing titty <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember that scene with the little text underneath like you know objects maybe closer than they appear <laughs> <laughs> i thought this was the most possibly the most awkward looking sex scene in film like in terms of comfort right like the actors look incredibly uncomfortable do they i think so i think they look like cramped and awkward right there well i mean yeah they're cramped he's a he's a tall guy and uh she actually is hitting her head on the roof of the car oh right that's what i'm getting at like this is this is not comfortable car sex if there is such a thing it could happen. Um, they, they definitely weren't doing it right, though. But Winecoop uh, steals their car after killing them. And he goes to see his sister at the strip club. And wow, we just like jumped so far ahead. So like Angus tries to to, to hitchhike off the, the Florida highway and it doesn't work. So he wanders through the woods. And this is where you can immediately tell that this was filmed in Florida because of all the uh, like signature like plants everywhere. Like if you've if you've been anywhere in the southeast, this will jump out to you immediately. But I like how there's this scene where he stumbles down into a trench and drops his suitcase. I don't even know what's in it. How, where did he even get the suitcase from? He he took it from somebody in the beginning of the movie. I can't remember who, though. So the only reason he killed this couple is because he just happened to find them and he wants a car. 
Right. Like that, that that's important to mention that this man is willing to kill two strangers just for their automobile. That's well, the tone that is set from this movie. Well, that and, you know, the officer making that woman eat all that poison baby food. Well, he's pretty much kill willing to kill anyone he interacts with in any capacity for little or no reason. I'm the IMDb synopsis just describes him as a psycho. And that's that's really all you need. That's his character. I mean, we go a lot deeper, but that's all you need to know for now. Well, he makes his way to the strip club to see his sister and and he sits and watches her entire strip routine. Did you find that odd? I mean, is it really any more odd than anything else in this film? No, I just <laughs> um, the absurdity of one scene does not detract from the absurdity of other scenes. I think we've talked about this before where like, you know, sometimes I think there's like brother and sisters in, in films portrayed in films being like way too touchy. And this film takes it to the nth degree. Yeah, true. I mean, it takes it all the way as far as you can go. <laughs> but anyway, he watches his sister's strip routine and then they're meeting in the back and he's like, why are you still working in a place like this? Like, I want you to be married and have a family and not be working here. And uh, this, I actually found it sort of like touching and authentic that this guy would care about like family values. Like yeah. life is life is life is disposable, but the, marriage and kids—that's sacred. This is about as humanizing a scene as you're gonna get from this film, and. Uh, the stripper, his sister, Kasha, uh, my favorite character in the film, because she has a very, very wonderful like development character arc. If you haven't seen this film, she is that absolute fake spray tan complexion with giant silicone implant tits. I don't know if I should say this, but like when people have breasts like that it always looks uncomfortable to me like i think i would be in pain it does look painful yeah and um you know you know breast augmentation has come leaps and bounds since the mid 90s um but like i didn't think this kind of thing looked good then and <laughs> it definitely doesn't look good now well what it is of the time it is period appropriate and place appropriate Oh, and um, place appropriate, yes. And she's incredibly confident. She's She wants them out there for everybody to see, is my suspicion. But she's a self-described nymphomaniac, so yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure how this compares to like the rest of the U.S., but Florida has a lot of strip clubs in general. Yeah, I think that's true of kind of any rural or semi-rural state. I think it's just like, what else are you going to do? <laughs> well, we have the internet get, now i guess actually yeah, now that i mentioned now that i think about it there are a lot of strip clubs that have closed down like even pre-covid um pro probably because of things like streaming porn only fans that sort of thing yeah so we we switch back to uh <laughs> we switch back to jackie and she's going to see her husband but they're estranged they're living apart i guess but her dad has told her to like patch things up but he's putting whipped cream on this girl's boobs in the hot tub and uh 
it, Jackie gets another good one-liner because when she walks in, the the mistress tries to say something, and Jackie says, "If I wanted your opinion, I'd shoot it out of you." This scene is very drawn out. Like there's it, like a four-minute strip scene in the bathroom for that the mistress mistress performs in front of the camera. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's inner shot with <laughs> another shot of the boyfriend sitting in the hot tub probably being told by the director pretend like you're watching someone strip because <laughs> it's completely shot at a different time with different lighting it's really awkward he looks exceedingly bored <laughs> probably because he's just looking at the sound guy or something yeah well they um it's a long awkward scene but she tells him that they're through and she, you know, they have no relationship anymore. And we go back to to Angus and him and, uh, is it Tasha? Tasha? Kasha. With Kasha. A K. Him and Kasha are going to uh, see her husband. And Wait, what is it husband? I thought it was boyfriend. No, they're married. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, so, no. So, like. What was your first impression of this character? Oh man, this is this is a textbook caricature of waste of life, abusive piece of shit. No nuance. It's just all out there. I mean, that's what every character is written like in the script. So, well, the nuance is the beret he's wearing. <laughs> I don't even remember a beret. It gives him class. Does it now? I'm actually, I'm not sure if it's a beret, but it, it's some kind of weird floppy hat. I, I'd never seen one quite like it. But he's out back, like lounging in this chair. He's a really big guy, really like slobby looking with beer cans everywhere. And he tells Kasha to go inside and get him a drink. And so she goes and gets him water out of the toilet. <laughs> she puts ice in a cup and then <laughs> scoops water out of the toilet bowl. <laughs> yeah, and when she gives it to him, he's not mad that it's toilet water. He's mad that it's not booze. Her response was, but you drank all of it last night. <laughs> he says, this is his line. He says, what is this shit? I don't drink nothing but booze. What is this, some kind of Boy Scout juice? <laughs> that, that expression um, was classic to me. But, the only uh, alcohol we have in the house is like mouthwash and... Rubbing think, alcohol. Rubbing alcohol. And he's like, well, then mix it up and put it in the glass. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, Angus drinks his glass by like pouring it over his face. Like he barely <laughs> drinks. But while she's inside getting the, the mouthwash and rubbing alcohol, Donnie tries to pimp her out to, to Angus. <laughs> and so Did you she, listen to the rates that he gave? <laughs> I'm not sure. What Do you remember what they were? Oh, yes. I wrote them down because it sounded off to me. And I was right. He says, it's 15 minutes for $10, 30 minutes for 25 one hour for 50. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, 
when um after after the husband Donnie does this spiel, um Angus stabs him. <laughs> Just straight up. No build yeah. up. And uh <laughs> and when he's lying on the floor, Kasha comes out and she starts kicking him and Angus keeps just poking him with the knife. It's really funny. This murder happens in broad daylight in what looks like the uh, backyard of every single house of people that live in the woods here (laughs) in Florida. So this might be a good moment to ask, how would you describe the tone of this movie? Like gross slapstick? obscene slapstick that's i like slapstick i hadn't thought about that that's that's the first thing that comes to mind yeah all of tim ritter's films i've seen have this same tone but it's kind of like you're laughing but feel like you need a shower at the same time (laughs) i laughed a lot in this movie but i feel kind of feel like i shouldn't well, I definitely don't think this is a horror film, and it's also not horror comedy. This is like something else entirely. I would just call this like, like this is 90s exploitation to me, and it reminds me of some other shot on video movies, but it also kind of reminds me of some of the grimier 70s movies, like um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Only more ridiculous, right? It, well, bringing that up, the trailer also had a bunch of uh, historical photographs of serial killers in court, like Ted Bundy. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like it's almost like John Waters directed Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. You know, this is kind of close to a, a John Waters film. Yeah, it. You know, I don't get the same sense of like. This does not have the the same degree of sophistication that John no. Waters' humor has, but it it is reminiscent. So anyway, the, at the end of this scene, uh, Angus asks if she wants to bury him, and she says, "No, nah, let's get something to eat." I and love so, how they were talking about moving in together and living in that house and then they just leave a crime scene right in the backyard yeah (laughs) well in the next scene we hear the fbi say that they've traced angus to 300 kills across the country so he obviously doesn't worry about hiding the evidence too much yeah so the fbi is talking with the police chief uh dad and we get a lot of backstory dropped that are kind of hints as to what's to come. Yeah, I mean, we basically find out that they've traced him to all these different murders. And uh, is there anything else important in that scene? Um, It was the father's decision to move Angus from a maximum security prison to something lower because he perp participated in uh, giving information for other cases that is what led to angus being able to escape in the first place right kasha is asking angus why he killed her husband and he says well sis that's just the kind guy i am and then she says thank you she says that's okay 
Yeah, they have this discussion over uh, a decadent meal of delivery pizza and soda, which for someone who just got out of prison is probably like a an amazing fucking feast. Yeah, I mean, he comments on like, we don't have food like this in prison. But the next scene is really strange. We we see the cop jogging and she gets attacked by this like long haired rapist um, that she had put behind bars. And he wants to like get revenge on her. This looks like every single hiking trail in Florida. And I can't imagine being out on one of these trails and seeing a movie like this being filmed. <laughs> <laughs> she gets another, Jackie gets another good line here. Um, yeah, so she gets into her car while being attacked and pulls out, what is it, like a strip of metal? Yeah, that's what it looked like. It didn't even look like a crowbar or anything. It was just a f- f- giant metal fragment. And it beats the shit out of this guy. <laughs> yeah, like it looks like she beats him in the knees. And she says, the next time you park in a handicapped spot, you'll have a good reason. Because <laughs> allegedly he parked in handicap. <laughs> yeah. But I like scenes like this that show us that this this cop can be just as like cruel and ridiculous as Angus. Even well, though she's like our protagonist. At first, I started to think that this was like a perfect like movie to embody the whole like all cops are bastards mentality. But really, I think just everybody turns out to be a bastard in this film. Yeah, there, there really isn't thing, anything here that's like anti-cop. It's kind of anti-humanity. There, there is a line that this rapist drops uh, b- before she's able to, to get the beat down where she's like, he's like, do you remember me? And it's, she's like, well, I don't know what I put you away for. And he goes on this spiel about how uh, he went, he served his time and then some liberals d- <laughs> decided he was able to get his revenge and let him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the one of the following scenes is um, we see Angus talking to his mother's grave. I, I did know. not expect the film to go in this direction. <laughs> yeah. So tell me why you were surprised. Uh, well, not to say that this movie seemed uh, grounded, but it definitely seemed more grounded than what's about to happen in the scene. I didn't expect this kind of psychosis. Yeah. So first I was kind of confused it we get like a flashback to earlier in the day right there's a scene where the sister stabs a guy with a big corkscrew and then starts like sucking on his organs but i couldn't figure out who this was it's clearly kasha right i mean who it is she's stabbing oh just some guy they after they ate pizza and soda they went on a murder spree apparently they right. just decided and to show it as a flashback. There's a scene where I forget what she's doing, but she says, I had an orgasm. I know I did. Yeah, because she was screwing him. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I mean, that's the joke. It was a giant corkscrew. Guy. <laughs> no, I got it. Yeah. I just like the way she delivered that line. Like, I know I did. Like, she's so, she has to be convinced. But to, to set the scene, it's this 
fake as hell looking graveyard with a cardboard tombstone and uh an open grave that's clearly been uh just hastily dug up bones and, this is, and a corpse this is their mother's it's grave now. it's their mother's grave they dug yeah. up their mom <laughs> and basically have sex on top of her dead body but not before angus has a conversation with his dead mother and then imagining the voice in his head yeah is this where he says that he wants to go live like gilligan I don't remember that line specifically, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, he says something like, I want to be shipwrecked on an island and live like Gilligan. <laughs> I mean, at least everyone else would be safe that way. I mean, not the rest of the Gilligan's crew, but <laughs> everyone, everyone off the island would be all right. Yeah, I suppose so. So, yeah, so, uh, this escalates so quick because <laughs> then... Kasha comes in, talks about how great it felt to kill people, is carting around a giant femur and a skull from someone completely different, and they fuck on their mom's grave. But first they have this conversation reminiscing about when they were children, and she says, do you remember when we were little kids and my mom and that weird guy dressed you up as a girl and put us in the bathtub? and made us eat dog food and her boyfriend max held me down and raped me and then joel says they raped me too and like it should not be remotely funny but it's so deadpan and ridiculous that i couldn't help but laugh yeah this this is not a feel-good movie to laugh to but you're gonna laugh so yeah after reminiscing about their childhood abuse they have sex on the grave and then he kills her and he holds up this big bone like he's a victorious caveman. I did not expect him to just kill his sister so outright. And that's what I'm saying. It's like you can't expect anything in this movie. Every scene is like unexpected almost. There, there are like two other major twists coming. And I, I figured out one of them. But I did not see the last one coming at all. There's some just like little things that... Well, I'll point out when we get to them, but little things where it just went a different direction than what I thought it was going to go. So we kind of haven't mentioned them yet, but uh, Officer Ketchum has been having flashbacks throughout this entire film of a memory of her mom getting killed during a botched robbery in a Florida backyard. Right. And uh, it's constant. Like every other scene that she's in, she has some kind of flashback or throwback to that moment. But she can't remember who the killer was. He was wearing a mask, to be fair. No, but I think that, like, the, the, the memory's not complete, but what we see, he has a mask on. So, like, the expectation for me throughout the movie is that it must be Angus. Right. So. There was a conversation at some point in the film where I'm like, okay, could it be Angus? And then I decided that was impossible. And there's only one other choice. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think the first time I saw this, I think I thought it must be Angus. But that would be a more trite, cliched movie than what we get. After Angus kills his sister, 
he goes to a pawn shop and, to rob it, and he starts taking all the jewelry. And he's going to beat the, the owner up with a baseball bat, but then he sees something better. And he goes and grabs a flamethrower and starts torching this guy's face. They really sell everything in pawn shops in Florida. Oh, true. Yeah, for sure. This is a believable situation. That's not a joke. That is completely believable. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that like in other movies, they just don't make the villains evil enough? Like compare compare this guy to Michael Myers, right? Like Michael Myers will kill his sister and like stab random people. But this guy will kill his sister after having sex on his mother's grave and flame throw people in the face. I don't know if this is so much. All right. All right. So let, let's look at this in uh, D&D alignment terms, right? This guy is like straddling the line between like chaotic evil and chaotic neutral. Ooh. You have no idea what that means, do you? I, I kind of do. I just don't know where the neutral comes in. I just think he's pure chaotic evil. Because chaotic doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. It's just random. Right, but every decision he makes in this movie seems to result in evil. But there's like an intent behind it. Like, okay, so how how um how conscious is this guy of his actions, right? I would say he he at least has one really conscious decision at the end of the film, but is is he really in control of his life? Is he like consciously making these decisions? I think he just has a really simple decision-making process where just he has no moral reservations at all. If if it's convenient to kill somebody, he kills them. But like it, it's it's a different okay. So you can say it's a different flavor of evil, right? Like compare this guy to like you know Harkonnen and Dune, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no <laughs> not the same. <laughs> there's no calculus going on, right? I mean, He's there's just, also like okay, so villainy in film, right, or media in general. There's a lot of there's a lot of things where evil just means we'll kill people and there's not really much else to it. Well, to give you an example, like how this movie took me by surprise um, during all this, the Jackie is going out to stay at her family's cabin for a night and then her dad is going to meet her there the following day. And when the movie like stresses how she's going to be out there by herself for a night, I felt sure that Angus was going to show up, but nope, the movie doesn't go that way. It's just full of surprises. So the next night he does join her there. And this is where we get one of the first major twists, right? The father beats her over the head with a vase so was this the one you expected? Yeah, I saw this coming. He basically, basically the story is that he was the killer of her mother and that he had been an alcoholic and did not want her to report him as an abuser and ruin his career. And so he's he had to kill her. And now that Jackie has remembered, he has to kill her, too. And child abuse is thrown in there as well. Right. They, like, they just paint this guy to be like the most despicable person. Yeah, he says that he abused her in order to make her mother mad. So it's not but even how like... how dare, 
how dare she try to ruin my career? How dare she report me to my sergeant? And it's, yeah, because he's a police officer. Um, and it's, it's not like, all right, so I'm not justifying this, but at least people who are ordinarily like pedophiles, they're, they have a, a mental illness or an abnormality that like they have to struggle with. This guy, he didn't have a desire to do it. He just did it to piss the wife off. That seems far worse somehow. I don't know how deep you want to dive into this, but there are, there are different categories of pedophiles. Yeah, we won't we won't go <laughs> down that rabbit hole. Do you want me? I got my I got the textbook on the shelf. I could pull it out and read them out to you. There's like six types. I don't remember them by heart. No, that's okay. Okay. This this twist to me just it almost seemed like a twist for the sake of being a twist. No way. This this was definitely like the whole premise of the plot. Like when this guy was writing this shit down in his notebook, this was like the first or second line of his outline. I mean, I think that's totally possible, but I don't feel like anything. And this is like a pet peeve of mine, I guess. Nothing in the father's character up until this moment suggests that he's like a raging alcoholic abuser. Um, there's at least two scenes where he is drinking from a flask in the middle of the day at work. Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't react violently or strike out at anybody or well, like you could a be rage. a functional alcoholic during the day and then, you know, go nuclear by night. I'm just saying that we don't see any indications of that. And yet it's very central to the plot. So I'm just letting you know, there there was a conversation they had in the middle of the film. I think it was the one where they were talking about going to the cabin so she can like try to get her mind off things. Where the dad, the way he was wording stuff, like threw up the red flags where I was like, oh, he killed the mom. Like instantly. Yeah, maybe I just uh, was not observant enough. Do not eyewitness my murder. <laughs> so he has decided to, since he cannot kill her to get Angus to do it. So Angus, he was the guy who put Angus behind bars originally, but also approved his transfer. And he has struck a deal with Angus to kill his daughter for him. And in exchange, he's going to pay him some large amount of money and helped engineer his release. It's not so much that the dad couldn't do it himself. He just needed a way to get away with it. Right, like an alibi. Yeah. I mean, um, and you know, and for the basis of a plot, I thought this was amazing. I did not see this twist coming, but you know, it makes sense. It all fits together. It really does. Yeah. So Angus is there, um, but Angus starts by killing the dad. Yeah, because it turns out dad tried to to swindle Angus. I don't know why you would try to swindle someone this unhinged, but he tried. Uh, no. He he took a bigger gamble letting this guy out of prison to begin with. Look, if that briefcase was full of money and he just immediately left the house after Angus showed up, everything would have been golden. I don't know. I think Angus might have killed him regardless. It's just, he just kills people that stay around. If you just minimize your contact and then leave, probably would have been all right. Probably would have been all right. Dad says, hey, here's the money. We don't have a lot of time. Kill my daughter and let's get out of here. And Angus says, I want to count the money first. Dad says, no, we don't have time for that. Angus starts to look at the money. 
Turns out there are phone books under the initial stack of money, which is like the laziest way to, to fake a money drop ever. So in absolute rage, Angus just wrecks the dad by jamming a knife in his ear. And that was it. Dad's gone. And, and then Angus climbs on top of Jackie and he's convinced that they're like, they're the same because they both had abusive parents and they can be like soulmates together. Well, I, I don't think he said they're soulmates. He, it's more like they just have this kinship, this shared uh, relationship through the fact that they both have really abusive parents. So mm-hmm. on one hand, you know, the mom dressed up Angus as a girl <laughs> and allowed him to be sexually battered by a boyfriend as long as 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 well as made him eat dog food uh she burned him cut him all that and on the other end you have officer ketchum who watched her mom die and that makes them equal well also her adult father screwed her over and was gonna murder her yeah he was uh we didn't like detail it but she is handcuffed Four ways to a bed, completely vulnerable. But Angus has a change of heart. He he sees this kinship, this connection that they have, and feels sorry for her and lets her go. He just leaves the house. Do you think the the movie is trying to tell us that like is the movie trying to create a parallel between them? And that's why she acts like out in rage at people like the the baby food poisoner. Hmm. Well, before we get into that, let's just talk about the very final scene of the film. All right. You want to describe it? Yeah. Despite the fact that her dad was clearly a douchebag, um, she still lamented his loss. So officer Ketchum, now probably completely off the force, uh, decided to get revenge on Angus by constructing a, c4 suicide bomb in her kitchen strapping it to herself and tracking angus down to what is i'm pretty sure is a hotel in south miami he gets done fucking what i'd imagine is a dead prostitute on a bed before crying in the bathtub enter officer catchem who catches who finds him in the back yeah, catches him in the bathroom rips off her vest to show the the bomb angus in confusion and anger is like i spared you i let you live and she flips the switch for the bomb and blows up the whole building the outside shot is clearly of a building that was uh demolished for you know probably a you know property owner reasons so they could put something else up but uh it's a very real shot of a building collapsing and all the onlookers all the floridian natives looking on at the pile of rubble i i was trying to figure out like when the movie was released exactly because i was wondering if this would have reminded people of the oklahoma city bombing that had happened in april Hmm. and i was just what like that would make this kind of an uncomfortable viewing experience right then. 
But you have to consider that uh, the officer here detonated one bomb to kill one person and brought down the entire building, presumably with many other people inside. I'm not saying it's effective in, uh, in convincing me of the reality of the situation. I'm just saying that in that context, I think it would have been disturbing. Probably, yeah. But this is definitely... Tim Ritter doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would delay his film because of a national tragedy, right? No. And uh, <laughs> and and I do... Th I, I think this ending um, contributes to what I was saying earlier, that she, they are like mirror images of one another, even though her trauma is not commiserate with his. Um, and now they have like this poetic death together. Like the only thing that separates them is a uniform. Oh, well, and about 295 victims. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, police brutality and, uh, police killings are woefully underreported in the U S who knows what could have happened throughout her entire career. Right. Ah, uh, true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, why don't you give your final thoughts and a rating out of four? I've seen a lot of films at independent film festivals that try to go for shock value. Um, things similar to this, but they always seemed like they were trying way too hard. I never liked any of them, but somehow this film transcends all of the other films I've seen of, of, of this nature. I don't know if I'm going to be able to put it in the words, but there is something eloquent about the way this film was crafted that just makes it seem more than what it appears to be on the surface. And I think the strong script for like the one liners and like the overall plot, uh, you know, narrative helps that like this is actually a well-written film which is bizarre <laughs> if you've seen it it's strange to say that <laughs> the acting is terrible <laughs> but all the characters are so well done and everyone is so enthusiastic and into the roles that it doesn't matter to me i think it it's pulled off extremely well and uh Maybe I'm giving this film too much credit, but I think this is like a this is like a three star movie for me. I really enjoyed watching this one. I'm glad I had no idea how you would react to this, but um, I wanted it to be seen. Uh, it's like I agree with all of that. Um, this is a lot of the things Leland just described are like how I feel about shot on video movies in general, and I think this is one of the best shot on video films that i've seen uh, i i really like it it transports the sort of grimy spirit of those 70s grindhouse films from like italian crime thrillers all the way to movies like um henry portrait of serial killer like that that grunge and that like neo-noir feeling where everyone is villainous uh, it just takes all that ethos and transports it to 90s in Florida and it works perfectly like it's a very um it segues perfectly and the real life the real life story behind what's her name uh Kathy Willits 
which just happens to coincide with like the story and and tone of the movie uh just makes it all the better i don't really know what i would want this movie to do differently in order to be better but at the same time i have to recognize that it's like a moral travesty and there's no redeeming value here um i'm gonna give it three stars as well this might be one of the few times where we actually agree on a star rating yeah well it's uh in celebration of our return from a a two or three week hiatus we should we should be getting new episodes to you more regularly for a while i don't know if you want to include this or not but i'm gonna read a youtube comment from this trailer okay i'm gonna read it verbatim hi i'll state something here yet you won't be able to believe a word I delivered pizza for Domino's in the 80s, 90s, and I can tell you, Kathy Willits was not the big story. It was her neighbor, Carmen, a super hot doll, who did it with a number of pizza guys for the pizza, while her husband watched in secret. Yes, I'm fully serious on this issue. Unbelievable? Jim R., now a policeman in Central Florida, was there and can confirm all. He was at Domino's during all of this. (laughs) only in florida (laughs) that comment is nine years old (laughs) so that that came from someone who must have had one of the vhs tapes uh, one of the few because the movie wouldn't have been re-released or anything at that point there's a signature that for the name the uh, first initial C Bear B A E R. I didn't see anybody with that last name on the the cast when I did like a skim. So I don't know if it's. I mean, it's probably the whole thing's probably just bullshit. But I think it fits. Uh, it fits the theme of the of the film for sure. Yeah, certainly. All right. So n- for next week, we are doing um, a 1984 sequel to a movie that never existed called the executioner part two the the plot is basically that um a los angeles cop is pursuing a mass serial killer in some ways it is just as ridiculous and um sacrilegious or whatever offensive title you want to use to describe um this movie this week it's very it's a spiritual successor to creep in some ways so I think that this will be an exciting and fun one to talk about. So if you have not already, check out The Executioner 2. I think it's fairly easy to see. It's on YouTube. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. And uh, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to us. Uh, Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. Awesome. And we will see you next week to discuss The Executioner Part 2.
Thank you.